you're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. Like if you're uh, like uh, the Nats were talking about it when they went to uh, San Francisco to play the Giants this year um, in like it was like June or something like that or July and it was like 65 degrees. They were like it was beautiful. It's gorgeous. Like it was almost a little chilly. Like it's it doesn't get hot there really apparently. Yeah, not in San Francisco. It's like one of these microclimates. But if you like the weather, you can go across the bay to Oakland or Berkeley or something like that. It'll be like 60 degrees in yeah. San Francisco, and you go a couple of miles over to Oakland, and it's 80 degrees. The wow. damnedest thing. Yeah, damnedest thing. Microclimate. Never knew that. See, in Pittsburgh, where Steve's from, it's always cold. Always. Even in the summertime. Everything's frozen. Yep. That's why we're so much better at hockey than you guys. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, low blow. <laughs> Our kids grow up on ice skates. <laughs> well, you know, um, back where well, back where I came from, we yeah. had a team that was pretty good. A couple of teams that were pretty good. Uh, yeah. Some guys uh, called the New York Rangers. They had, oh, yeah. a, they had a guy named Bobby Hull at one point, and he was really good. And then there were there were the Islanders. Never heard of them. And the Islanders used to kick people's ass. Oh, my yeah. God. It was like – Won four, four championships in a row, yeah. Yeah, you know. So And that was back in the day, you know, when I was actually out there. So, you yeah. know, I man, we got tired of the Islanders winning. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, anyway, though, so, yeah, New York has a very proud – hockey tradition but of course it's cold yeah so it's so it's so weird too i still like i i know that like with modern technology and advancements and you know like air conditioning and such that you can have hockey and 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 southern climates it just it doesn't fit though like there's just something weird about seeing a hockey team in in miami and like los angeles i mean like i guess la is like i feel like they get a free pass because they had gretzky for a long time but like it just doesn't the southern, the southern cities, especially like Phoenix, it just doesn't fit there for some reason. Well, it's why we so easily beat the the Predators well, <laughs> last okay. year. Like they're just not. The funny thing about the Predators though is that poor city, right? So like Miami, like when they got the Panthers, they were kind of ready for hockey because there's so many transplants from the north. So like they had a pretty good idea and understanding of how the sport worked, right? So when they brought hockey to Nashville. These poor country bumpkins had no idea how hockey worked. So they'd be cheering at the wrong times during the games. Like, no, I'm, I'm serious. And this isn't even, I'm not like just doing this for shtick. This is like actual stuff. Like they would cheer at the wrong spots and like, they would like boo at the wrong spots. Like they just had no idea what the hell was going on. And like their thing that they do, like uh, in, in Detroit, they throw the squid on the ice um, in Nashville. They, they throw catfish yep. on the ice they didn't even know really when to do that because they were just like, well, we seen Detroit do it. So we're going to do something like that too. Except down here we got catfish. Woo. So like, didn't know when to do it. So like their team would be like losing and they'd throw it on the, on the ice. And like the hockey players are just like, really guys, come on, seriously, get it together. And like, they finally have just now started to get it. And like, they have a pretty loyal fan base and they have a pretty good following too. It's kind of impressive for, for a city in the mountains that has no clue as to what hockey was before the predators showed up. Well, a lot of these places. Yeah, that was actually good. Oh, no, I was going to say a lot of these places are just excited to have a professional sports team. I've got a friend uh, that I was in uh, high school with who lives in uh, North Carolina, 
and they've got the um like the hurricanes or the cyclones or some kind of thing. Yeah. I don't know. And she's always excited about that. And, you know, I figured, well, that's because you're from New Jersey, but even though you're like a North Carolina transplant now, but that's another one of those places where I'm like, really hockey in like North Carolina. I mean, yeah. that just doesn't right. It doesn't fit. No. And like, what's weird too, is because of this, it's, it's actually kind of an interesting thing. They were talking about like this guy who plays for the, uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, who's like their next big thing. Uh, guy's name is Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews is from Phoenix. So like hmm. if it hadn't been for the Phoenix Coyotes and it hadn't been for this advent of these hockey teams in places that don't really fit, you wouldn't have seen what, what they're, I mean, they're calling this guy like the next big thing. Like they think he's going to be like the next Gretzky or something like that. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for those things, we wouldn't be seeing the growth of the sport. And they say like, it all can be taken back to Wayne Gretzky getting traded from Edmonton to Los Angeles and playing for the Kings because had that not happened, the legitimacy of these Southern hockey teams would have just continued to dwindle because nobody really cared about them. Like mm. That was kind of like the linchpin that changed everything. Well, in the sense that you know, hockey seems more – it always seemed more like a Canadian game to me. Every American team is a Southern team, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> And I'm sure Canadians will tell you that shit too. You know, yeah, it's exactly. like <laughs> what's funny too is is like it, it's it's crazy how passionate fan bases are. Like, um, or or people are for hockey. I mean, like right now the Las Vegas Knights are selling out every single game. They have like the best record in the NHL. They're like setting attendance records for um, a first team franchise or first year franchise. Um, not only that, Seattle. They're talking about putting an expansion team in Seattle. They did a a test to be like, all right, we think that you guys are ready for this. Um, we're going to do a season ticket test. And they sold out their season tickets for the key bank arena and like, in something like, th- in like 13 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Like, so Jeez. that, that city is ready for, for hockey basically is what they're saying. And that's kind of cool. I, I had no idea that there was an NHL team in Las Vegas. <laughs> I mean, you're, this is the first well, year, hey, but they've been playing for. Well, wait a minute, because this is this is March, so clearly they've been playing for a few months. I had no idea. And wait, there was some place else you mentioned where I don't really know that I knew they had a hockey team. Um, wait a minute, you said like Miami or something has a hockey yeah. team? Yeah, the Florida, the Florida Marlins. Yeah, Florida. they play or Marlins. The Florida, uh, Panthers. the Florida Marlins. Panthers play in Sunrise, which Sunrise is like. Jeez, Jeter's really no, selling Florida everybody Panthers. off. Panthers, I had no idea. How long has that team been down there? Uh, twenty plus years. Really? Yeah. yeah oh my God! No, I yeah. had no idea. <laughs> that shows you how much I follow hockey. <laughs> yeah, I'm just losing along here with the Caps, man. You know. Oh, in fact, that was another thing because I remember uh, the the Devils were a team that was formed after I left New Jersey. So I have I have no affinity for the New Jersey Devils whatsoever. I was I mean we liked it because it was like oh boy we got a team. I mean that was kind of yeah. like because New Jersey. I mean even though all these teams really play in New Jersey, the Jets and the Giants and all this. You know they call them New York, but we're like well they're really New Jersey teams. But then here was wow the New Jersey Devils in it to go along with the Nets. We didn't care about the Nets because the Nets always sucked. Except yeah. for those two years where, like, they went to the finals <laughs> and it was like, "Oh my God, look at that!" You know. But then they moved to Brooklyn, and now it's like, "Wow, there's some good teams." I'm trying to remember, like, I don't, even, I can't. 
well, like Jason Kidd was like the the yeah head, that was, he the was head like player. The yeah, when he he was the man when they were when they were good, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think oh, I'm trying to remember who else was on that team. It was like Kerry Kittles. I think Keith Van Horn Keith was on Van that Horn. team. God. <laughs> yeah, of course. Say, of of course, he played like, in Utah, right? Yeah, I'm trying to remember if, if Keith Van Horn's the one that I'm remembering. He's the goofy, goofy looking white dude. Keith Van Horn. Yeah. Let's see. And he went to school at University of Utah. Hot damn! Look yeah. at you. Look at that worthless knowledge that I was able to pull. How impressive! Hmm. That's some, like Jeffrey oh, Lass stuff right really there. So many downloads and subscriptions. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember Kerry Kittles having like the world's biggest Adam Adam's apple. That's like it. It was disgustingly I don't noticeable. You. I'm gonna have to look this up. Maybe I'm thinking of maybe it was someone. I know, else I know on Marcus Camby played for that team too. Kerry hmm. Kittles has a very small head in relation to his body. Hmm. Like his head is about the same size as his neck, so. Maybe that's why it was so pronounced. He I just don't know. has a very large body. Oh, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to look at a, a professional basketball player who is a very odd-looking human being physically, look up Sam Cassell. Well, hmm. yeah, I mean, he looks like to me. Sometimes he looks like like a gray, like a like a space alien. <laughs> I just think he looks like um, his teeth don't look natural. Like it, it, they're almost like oversized dentures in a way, like mm. just very big and pronounced. And like like they're gonna come out almost like alien teeth, you know, from like mm. uh, from the um, the Ridley Scott movies. Like they're gonna come out of his mouth and like protrude mm. at you and try to like kill you. Oh damn! Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So we've just been talking about nonsense. We should probably <laughs> do a show. <laughs> isn't isn't that what it is? <laughs> Their show about cue the sign. The, uh, the sign been done. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Been there, done that. Um, no, I think. Well, I just found a picture on Google Images of Sam Cassell next to a, a drawing of a gray. See? So I'm not the one who has this theory. Right, well, there you go. I'm, I'm glad that you've been validated, Steve. Thank God for that. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. Earth. I was maybe like like nine or ten years old and we were at a um at a family reunion in the pocono mountains of pennsylvania and it just so happened to be at the same time that the philadelphia 76ers were doing their training camp which was not far from there and i got to meet manute bowl and manute oh, no, bowl, oh man yeah manute like, bowl. oh damn i see this freaking picture of sam cassell in the gray so there you go <laughs> Oh, that's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all laughed at me. You all oh. laughed at me like I was some kind of crazy conspiracy oh. theorist. Well, there's your proof. Oh, there's yeah. your proof that Sam Cassell oh, is actually an alien. Um, so Manute Bowl is it was seven foot seven. And the it was like you don't you can't appreciate seeing somebody that tall until you've actually seen them in person and, and it's it's frightening like we were i remember it was my cousin and i we were in the swimming pool and minute bowl was so tall that he was sitting in the hot tub reaching his arm out of the hot tub and could touch into the pool 
was just like touching, just splashing the water away, oh. like, like just freakishly long limbs. It was like it was like Mister Fantastic. Like just, it, it was the craziest thing. And I met him. So I'm like nine years old at this point. So I'm like not even five foot tall and he's just towering above me. And it was just like the freakiest thing I had ever seen in my life. But he was like the nicest dude ever. And like what's even crazier too is like I was reading a story about him that like um, when he came over uh, from Africa that like I guess the immigration laws weren't as strict as they are now. But they're finding a lot of evidence that Manute Bull was probably about 15 to 20 years older than he actually claimed to be. Uh. (laughs) What? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, let me see if I can find it. I, I can understand if he said, like, he was, like, five years older or something like that. But, like, how how does someone pass as 20? Well, I guess when you're, like, someone that huge, like, you're, like, a legitimate giant. Like, I guess yeah. you, no one can really tell what's going on. Like, he's probably looked 40 since he was 15 years old. Yeah, here's what it says. On his Wikipedia page, it states that Manute Bull passed away at the age of 47, but former Cleveland State coach Kevin Mackey said Bull might have actually been playing in the NBA at that age. Bull's biography says that he was born October 12, 1968, but that didn't come from his birth certificate. I gave him his birthday because they didn't know how old he was, Mackey, currently a scout for the Pacers, told Zag's blog. It was in October. I wanted to make it after September 1st. I wanted to make sure he was young enough because he didn't have any age. I think he was in his 40s. I really do. But there's no way of ever really knowing. (laughs) That's insane. I like how this podcast quickly became NBA conspiracy theories. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I always always thought it was funny that – and and a very interesting distinction that Manute Bowl played on the same team at the same time as Muggsy Bogues. Oh, yeah. And so you had – the smallest player in the NBA and the tallest player in the NBA. I mean, it was like, all right, is this a basketball team or are we like a walking freak show or something? You know, well, sideshow kind of they thing. They played for the Washington Bullets together, and that was when the Bullets were horrible. So it might have been a freak show, and in order to sell tickets, they were like, hey, we got to do something to get people in the stands. So, hey, look, we got a really tall guy and we got a really short guy. Oh, and there's a girl with a beard too. Why not? Like, it's. Uh, you know, they really messed that up because. When Michael Jordan played, I mean, yeah. even though he was it was he was way done, um, the the stadium was full, yeah. and and I thought this was a very interesting bit of trivia. Also, all the bars and restaurants around the stadium were full, and uh, you know it meant a great deal to local business, and uh, it was just like mm-hmm. that's there. There are only so many athletes that are a draw like him. Like who, yeah. who else can you really think of like Michael Jordan that people will just want to even be close to? Like I didn't get to watch a game where he played on the court, but I was a, at a bar down the street when he scored 14 points against the Cavs. Like, I mean, it's, that's the kind of thing that like people want, they wanted to be around him. Just like we were talking about Gretzky yeah. before, like just those iconic players. Like I'm trying to think of a football player that that would be on the same page. I mean, like. I don't see everybody talks about Tom Brady like oh he's the greatest but I don't think people yeah, are going out of their I way mean, to be a like, lot of people a lot of people hate Tom Brady. Yeah. You'd have to you'd have to go back to somebody like Walter Payton or right? Jerry Rice or you know some maybe because um I don't remember Montana being universally reviled. Well, like even, even uh, then though, I think I think with the NFL like the rivalry lines are so yeah, finely drawn that I don't know if there will ever be that 
universal great. Like even even teams that were rivals with the Bulls in the nineties, like the Knicks or the Pacers or whatever, like even fans of those teams, like they were not happy to see Jordan play because they knew they were probably going to get their butt kicked. But at the same time, you still kind of appreciated what he's doing in the NFL. Like, I don't care if the Ravens draft like the, the next whoever I will never root or appreciate really anyone that's on their team. Yeah. I'm well, just trying to think of anybody that somebody like an, an NFL equivalent where it's like, Oh, I have to go see X play. Cause I remember when Barry Bonds was still playing, for the Giants and the Nats had just been in the league and they were still playing at RFK. My dad specifically said to me, man, I really would love to see Barry Bonds play uh, in person. And I managed to get tickets and we went and saw that. Like, I just don't think of any other players in the, the NFL is different, I guess. You know, they, 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 there have been a couple of guys like that. Brett Favre was like that. Okay. You know, I mean, it was so popular and, you know, people, I think people genuinely liked him. I mean, you know, Tom Brady is a different story, but Tom Brady and the Patriots, are a different story. I mean, I think there might have been a window somewhere where they might have been likable, but then they weren't, you know, and, and, you know, but, but that, it, that's, that's kind of unusual. Usually the teams where there's somebody who is exceptional or, you know, across a period of decades, like this guy, that, that was the thing with Brett Favre, you know, I mean, he, and, and he extended his career. I mean, they loved him in yeah. New York and, you know, it was great, you know, when he played for um, the Green Bay Packers and all of that, you know. So, but I guess I, I think it was a similar type of thing with Montana because he was loved in San Francisco. And when he went to Kansas City, you know, he still extended his career and people people still liked him. And, you know, he got endorsements and all that, you know, it's in and I grant you there's something because the Raiders, nobody ever liked anybody who played for the Raiders and they had some real greats, but true. they were yeah. just universally hated because they were the Raiders. I mean, yeah, but I'll grant you football is different and there are going to be some fans who it doesn't matter who this person is because they play for the wrong team. They're never going to like them, you know, and I mean, personally, in terms of like a rivalry like that, because there's, there's a guy I know who um, he claimed to be a 49ers fan, yeah. for example. But then after uh, the Seahawks won that first Super Bowl, he was, I saw him, he'd taken a picture wearing a, uh, a jersey for, you know, number three. And I was like, how do you do this? Because you claim you're a San Francisco fan. Seattle plays in San Francisco's division. They beat the 49ers to get where they were going. And now you go put this guy's Jersey on you're a sellout. <laughs> I, much I mean, I'm sorry, that, that's what I, yeah, that's what I told him. And you know, I mean, it, it, he's, Probably. you know, one of those shameless self promoter types. And, but I just don't respect that. I can't respect you. If you, I mean, I don't believe anytime I was giving him a terrible time because anytime he posts stuff about, yeah, San Francisco, I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> you ain't no oh, it's one, for now. It's one thing if he was like, you know what, I'm a 49ers fan, but I got to say, Russell Wilson, I appreciate his game. But it's a different thing to buy a jersey, wear the jersey, take pictures and flaunt it and everything like that. Like, I don't care who the, like, the Ravens or Bengals or Browns get. Like, I can honestly say, like, A.J. Green is an extremely talented wide receiver. I will never own an AJ Green jersey. I, I would rather never wear a shirt or anything on in my top half again if the only option is wearing an AJ Green jersey. It just won't happen. Oh, of course not. <laughs> you can yeah, wear an AJ Green shirt or go shirtless. I will yeah, go shirtless for the rest Thank of my you. life. Done. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, the but, and, I, and I appreciate what you're saying because you can you can respect him as a player and as a competitor, but like wearing his gear, I mean, yeah. that's crazy. I mean, I would just assume – I'll tell you something. I, I, I mean, I, I respect the Dallas Cowboys because they're good and because they give us fits. But I would never – let me tell you something. <laughs> so my wife's family – true story. My wife's family is from Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, when we had our first baby, I had people say – I mean, and they were being serious. They wasn't really a joke. They were sending my child like Dallas Cowboys stuff. And all of it I threw away. <laughs> and I told them, I said, don't waste your money. Don't waste your money sending my kid Cowboys stuff because he ain't never going to wear I came home one day. And my wife had him in like a little Cowboys onesie or something. And that was it was after that that I made sure to get rid of all of that stuff. <laughs> I was like, oh, bump this. We ain't having this. I was, I was very afraid that a... you were about to say, and that's when I stopped loving my kid. <laughs> <laughs> what son no, no, are no, you no, talking no, about? You, you, you fight for the heart and mind of your child. <laughs> is what that I, is. Uh, <laughs> I, I was a big collector of jerseys in general. Uh, of football jerseys and like i had a bunch of different teams but i drew the line at anybody else in the nfc east so i've never owned a new york giants or philadelphia eagles or a dallas cowboys jersey period i have had a bunch of other teams because i had players that i really liked or i thought the jersey was really cool looking but like for the most part like there were certain teams i just didn't touch and that was one though the nfc east no have some self-respect you know don't root for those other teams that's just gross yeah, yeah. You know, it's it it's interesting because when I came up, the Giants really sucked. I always I was kind of like the Jets, and it, you know because they were kind of halfway good and Broadway Joe and all that. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I mean, and I think you can have you can have like your team, and then you can sort of have like your team from the other conference. Yeah. You know. And, Thank you. You know, I don't I don't own any gear for any other team, but because it's like kind of from where I'm from, I could like the Jets. I could kind of like the Jets. Yeah. And so I've sort of been, you know, sneakingly waiting for the Jets to get good. You know, <laughs> hey, they had that thing with Mark Sanchez a few years ago. It was like, oh, is it gonna happen? Is is now the time? You know? <laughs> oh, butt <Yeah>. fumble. <laughs> oh man. Mike, you'll be happy to hear because I, I 100% agree with yeah. Yuli. That's like kind of been my mentality. I've talked to my wife about the yep. same thing. The skins were always that 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 opposite conference yep. team for me. Mine was it, growing up. It was the it was Washington, and then um, like right as their as the crest of their success in the in the early 90s was was coming down. Um, I'd really gotten into football. I was playing football in middle school. And like I, I was really just into the sport in general, so I needed another team to root for. And the Patriots had just drafted Drew Bledsoe, and I was like, "This guy is incredible. He can throw the ball like sixty yards on the fly, no problem." They just changed their logo. They have this cool looking flying Elvis thing. I'm rooting for these guys, <laughs> and I bought all in on those guys. So that was like my second team. I had an AFC and an NFC team, but like <laughs> as as a football fan, I started finding other players too. Like I was, I'm left handed. So like anytime a, a cool left-handed quarterback came around, I was like, oh, this is my guy. So like I, I had a Steve Young jersey at one point. Um, when Mark Brunel came out, I was like, this guy's amazing too because he was gutsy and he would run and he would dive for first downs. And like, yeah, like I, I just had a lot of different um, teams that I kind of rooted for, but like none of them. It was always like if they played the if they played Washington, I was like, I'm I'm rooting for Washington every time. But like my loyalties were always clearly defined, but. It just it gets hard when your team is so horrible to 
to not find other things to root for when you're so into a sport. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing to me with that is the way that team loyalties go. I mean, I was talking about that guy who was, you know, claiming to be a 49ers fan, but he was wearing the uh, Seattle jersey. Now, and this is an interesting conundrum to be in, and I've seen this situation. So you're a Redskins fan, but you need in the overall scheme of things, because it benefits the Redskins one particular week, you need for the Cowboys to win. Yeah. Can you root for the Cowboys? And I know people who can't. They won't do it. They're like, I don't care that it helps us. I ain't rooting for them. You know? And I'm like, you're hardcore. <laughs> I can appreciate that. But like, the older I get to, the more I realize that like, how all these teams are essentially the same. How Washington and Dallas are essentially the same team because it's always like, Oh, well, how are they going to screw it up this year? Or what kind of dumb thing are they going to (laughs) do to alienate their fan base? Because like, I would love to have a Washington fan and a Dallas fan and sit them down in a room and be like, Hey, your teams are exactly the same and just walk away and just like drop that grenade in their lap. Because think about it. Like they, when that cap penalty came out in that uncapped year, when uh, the NFL levied fines, what were the two teams that were fined? Washington and Dallas. Yeah. Look at last year. Washington theoretically could have made the playoffs, but they bungled it in some way uh, because their quarterback can't step up in the big games. Hmm, who does that sound like? Um, oh, oh, yeah, that's right. Tony you Romo. Can't, you can't same guy. On, wait, wait. You, you can't put that on Kirk Cousins. I can't put that on Kirk Cousins, and I'll tell you, to, I'll give you three syllables. That would be New York Giants. The two games that he played against them in the final game, in the final game of the season. And last year in 2017, and then last and the year before in 2016, he single handedly lost both those games, like because of his interceptions. Had he played a decent game, had he not dropped the ball, so to speak, in both of those, they would have made the playoffs in 2016. Now this last now, year what, they were out no matter what. But like, I'm so glad he's gone. I can't even tell you. Like I am so sick of that drama. He is he is not for the big stage at all. And like. I saw this amazing stat, too, that was showing all the quarterbacks who had gotten these max contracts, like Kirk Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo, um, Matt Stafford, and Derek Carr, and not a single one of them has a playoff win. Yeah, well, exactly. And this is part of what I was trying to do, because I'm so tired of hearing Redskins fans slander Kirk Cousins. Let me tell you something. Young man, I have been here, okay? I've been here before. Yeah. I dragged Mark Rippon's name through the mud in this town <laughs> with anybody who would listen. Was I was cool. like, we, he, oh, yeah, exactly. I said, he sucks. We'll never win a championship with this guy. I mean, there was a year we were 10 and six. We had 3,000 yard receivers yeah. and we didn't make the playoffs. And it was like, we're never going anywhere with this guy. Yeah. And then he won the Super Bowl. And I was and he like, was Super Bowl MVP. Mark, yeah. Exactly. I was like, I'm sorry for everything I said. Cousins could have ultimately gotten it done here. I mean, what I didn't want to see was us blow this thing up again. I mean, I'm tired of watching us blow the thing up. You know, you've got so many other elements to this team where there are problems for people to levy the blame at the feet of the quarterback. And obviously the quarterback gets a disproportionate amount of credit when the team wins. He gets a disproportionate amount of blame when the team loses. But some of those interceptions, you don't know what happened. The protection broke down. The guy ran the wrong route. 
I mean, yeah, it looked like he threw it right to the guy, but hey, there was supposed to be a receiver there. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that happens to where I can't pin this oh, yeah. on Kirk Cousins. Plus, team game. there are some yeah. games that Kirk Cousins won himself, you know, and I'm like, okay, I was sorry to see him go because I'll tell you what, Alex Smith, Alex Smith sucked when he was good, okay? <laughs> we, we definitely ain't doing nothing with Alex Smith. <laughs> you know, I am it's like I am a big I am a big believer in this Washington in order to be successful needs a lot more than just a quarterback and it wasn't Kirk Cousins' fault. However, they need to build. They need there's a lot more that they need and having to pay him a max contract because somebody convinced him that he was worth a max contract would have torpedoed this team to a level that it would have screwed them. Now, is that their own fault? Yes, because they should have signed him, I don't know three years ago to a decent moderate contract instead of this ridiculous 80 million piece of garbage that he signed with Minnesota. So they screwed themselves. That's their own fault. That being said, I still don't think he was worth that max contract. And I think Minnesota is going to kick themselves when they realize that paying all that money to him means that they can't sign other free agents. The way the NFL is structured right now with having to give all of these quarterbacks, these max contracts in order to lock them down is going to hurt these teams in the long run. And you're going to end up seeing a reversion to an older style of football where it's run heavy instead of being quarterback happy because savvy general managers are going to see, I don't need a quarterback to win. And I'll give you a perfect example. That would be the Jacksonville Jaguars. They they were seven points away from making the Super Bowl on a average quarterback and an awesome running game and a stellar defense. They almost beat the Patriots. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll tell you what, well, you meet Wade. Oh, okay, all right. No, yeah, all right. I'm sorry. Wait, wait. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> they weren't really close to beating the Patriots at all. They gave Pittsburgh all they could handle. They they healed Pittsburgh into the dirt. But it wasn't really close with the Patriots. I mean, now, and I'll tell you a thing about Blake Bortles. And I was so angry with Redskins fans because there were a bunch of these guys who were like, yeah, let's get a real QB like Blake Bortles. <laughs> And I'm like, excuse me? What are you talking about? That was how deeply the hatred for Kirk Cousins ran among some of these guys. Now, I can't argue with you in terms of the pass-happy nature of the game. But I don't think that even teams winning by virtue of the run is going to change that. I think that ownership wants something in particular. I mean, that's why they've, they've changed these rules to favor the passing game. Plus... The running back position is the most difficult and demanding on the entire team. I mean, arguably, you need for your best athlete to be your running back. And it's a real short stop at that position. But part of the reason for that is that NFL clubs have realized you don't need a stud back anymore. And very few teams actually even have fullbacks. What you can do, you have running back by committee and you're putting fresh legs in the game at all times. I mean, the days of like a John Riggins, yeah. we're never going to see that again. Yeah. You know, I mean, an Adrian Peterson, nah, nah, we're not going to see that again. I mean, and, and it's too bad yeah. because guys like that, you know, I think that was, um, I think it was good for the game. I mean, that was how the Redskins won their first Super Bowl. Yeah. They were being beguiled and bedeviled by the killer bees there in Miami. And uh, Joe Gibbs was like, okay, 
we're gonna establish the line of script. I love watching that highlight. You know, it's like you got Joe Bugle. He says, Coach Gibbs said, we're gonna run by establishing the line of scrimmage, win by establishing the line of scrimmage, and run into football. And they just switched up, no more misdirection stuff, all that crap they had been running. They were like, John Riggins, the ball carrier. Riggins, the ball carrier. You know, it's like <laughs> 70 chip, 40 chip, all these plays. Man, that if you haven't seen the highlights of Super Bowl 17 lately, do yourself a favor and watch that highlight. Oh, yeah. Because, oh, my God. And it got down to that. I'll never forget that play. Fourth down, and I'm just praying they get the first down. You know, it's like, oh, God, please let them get the first down. And then I saw the corner slip, you know, Don McNeil, and I started getting happy. And we got the first down and then he was off to the races and it was like, Oh my God, you know? And, uh, you know, and they never looked back, but that was one of the most exciting games also because of a play that, uh, Joe Theismann had, they were deep in their own end and AJ Dewey, damn near, and Theismann had to bat the ball down. It was like a, a batted ball, sorry, deflected pass. And AJ Dewey was getting ready to grab that ball and run it in for a score. He had done the same thing uh, two weeks earlier against the New York Jets. And Theismann was heady. He jumped in there and he knocked the ball loose. So, and it, But <laughs> if Miami goes up then, because yeah. they were already up, if they, but if they went up, we wouldn't have had time to have gone to the run and we would have lost that game. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I mean, here's Joe Theismann, heady player, saving that game. Just, it was like, oh, there were so many companies. That's when you have every component of the team working harmoniously. Yeah. We haven't had that in years. I remember, because um, I'm obviously younger than you, but like, I don't, I, I wasn't, I was just, I was a little, I was a year old when that Super Bowl happened. Um, but I do remember the one where they played the Bills. And that was the one that I vividly remember. I remember them just just dominating that that's the one thing that i remember more than anything else is that no other team in the nfl that they played because i mean they just they just ran through every single team they played with the exception of the one but they lost two games they were 14 and 2 that year they lost to the eagles yep. in the last game of the year when they were putting in subs so who cared yeah garbage time yeah yep. and then they lost that one game to the cowboys but that was jimmy johnson's like second year and they were up and coming um so we were it was kind of like a um a show of what could happen in the future and it it, it is what happened uh-huh. But like, there was never a, a chance that the Bills were going to beat them in that Super Bowl. No, Washington, there was not the entire time. <laughs> and I just remember watching that as a kid and thinking it was the greatest thing. I was like, man, my favorite team, my dad's favorite team, they're awesome, and they're going to be awesome all the time. And I didn't realize that that was the last time they were ever going to be good. And like, Ooh. it was it was so sad because they've never been good like that ever again. Um, we have been rambling for, gosh. 54 minutes. <laughs> 35. Oh, oh, okay. oh 35. Yeah. Well, you guys have been, yeah, I was going to say you guys have been longer let's, than I have. I've let's go ahead rambling and, and hit, the, hit the intro music here so we can actually get the official show started. Um, but yeah, you guys got a little bonus there. We got to talk a little bit about sports and uh, all that fun stuff. A little NBA conspiracy theories, as Steve had pointed out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> you don't need to watch the X-Files. Just watch the NBA. There you go. Or listen to GTR or Pirate Radio. There's that too. Dude. I never doubted you. <laughs> All right, guys. This episode of GGR Pirate Radio is sponsored by uh, Manute Bowl's Questionable Age. So <laughs> let's go ahead and get this party started. 
You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. It's called Pirate Radio. Be like, oh, these are stupid guns. Guns uh. are for jerks. <laughs> Run around this city like it's your damn shooting gallery. Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? You act like it's a playground. You beat up the bullies with your fists. You throw them in jail. Everybody calls you a hero, right? And then a month, a week, a day later, you're back on the streets doing the yeah. same damn thing. So you just put him in the morgue. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? The great pirate Wobbles is here for you. Pain heals. Cheeks dig scars. Glory lasts forever. If you will not turn to the dark side, then perhaps she What's in the box? Killer! You son of a... This is called Pirate Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, my name is Mike Lunsford and this is GGR Pirate Radio. Guys, we've got a fantastic episode in store for you. In fact, we're like... Starting the intro halfway through our episode, basically, uh, we're talking a little bit sports. We're going to talk about um, a topic that is near and dear to all of our hearts. It is the state of geekdom. What do we mean by that? Kind of like the state of the union, only without, you know, some crazy half insane president talking about nonsense. We're actually going to talk about things that matter to us. Uh, we're going to talk about kind of what's going on in the geek world in general. Um, we're going to talk about all the movies that are coming out, all of the things that we're seeing in our world um, and how it affects all of us, but also some things that might be coming uh, up soon to anticipate, um, but also to maybe be wary of. Uh, Joining me today, as always when it comes to GGR Fire Radio, I've got my cohort in crime, Mr. Steve Monick. That's me. And special guest, the host of Arlington in the Morning, the host and creator and head MFIC in charge of uh, all things Fantastic Forum. His name is Ulysses Campbell. Oh, thank you very much, Mike. Of course, of course. Guys, we went way off the rails there, but that's why I love having both of you guys on because I know that we can carry on a conversation without having anything. I mean, a la Seinfeld, we can have a show about nothing and it'll totally work. Um. That was one of the more exciting sports things that I, I had never heard of the gray alien Sam Cassell um, <laughs> comparison before. Um, that That's something new to me. Um, if you guys are listening to this right now, make sure you check out our website because she is up and running like a fine oiled machine. Uh, like Mr. Scott, chief engineer of the, United, of the USS Enterprise would say, uh, GGR is a fine lady and you should treat her as such. Do so by going to the website that is greatgeekrefuge.com. Check out our articles, check out our podcasts. We've got a network of podcasts now. We have Miss Jay Dilla, who has her own show, which is called Epop. Check that one out. That one's pretty fun as well. Guys, I want to talk about the uh, the state of geekdom. Um, Steve, you and I have talked about this before. Yuli, you and I have talked about this before. Now all three of us can talk about it together. Um what kind of prompted this too is Steve and I were talking about um, Star Trek Discovery, the, the recent series that the just season one just ended on uh, the CBS All Access app that they have. And 
as somebody who's been a Star Trek fan since he was a kid, I wouldn't say I was surprised because this is pretty par for the course for Star Trek fans. But there was a very mixed reaction from the Star Trek fandom. Overall, because uh, I actually ended up doing a poll for one of my articles, overall about 87% of Star Trek fans that I polled really liked the series. They either liked it or enjoyed it. But there's still this contingent out there who will say things like, not my Star Trek, or I don't understand why they can't stick to canon, or I'm never going to watch this because CBS did this to... Uh, all those fan movies or Paramount is blocking this or X, Y, or Z. There's so many different things from what you guys have been seeing. And, and, and Yuli, I'll start with you because I know you're a Star Trek fan and then we'll, we'll go to Steve. Um, Yuli, from what you've seen with, with people who are in these crowds, because I know you've even done stories on fantastic form about some of those fan films they've made. Is this pretty consistent that Star Trek fans tend to have a lot of animosity towards CBS and Paramount? and therefore really not going to follow a lot of their new projects? Well, I, I think that it's not just Star Trek fans, Mike. I think yeah. that uh, because you look at um, a lot of fans of different genres and particularly comics and science fiction and as different projects are rebooted or different comics are adapted – uh, and particularly when it comes to uh, race and gender swaps, uh, you have a lot of fans that react very badly to that. I actually think that was a big part of what happened with Star Trek Discovery, because uh, you had an African-American woman who was featured very prominently. Uh, there was an Asian woman that was featured very prominently. And uh, there were a lot of people who reacted poorly to that, particularly with uh, some of the history of Star Trek, you know, with the guys like Captain Kirk, uh, Captain Picard, Ca you know, uh, C Commander Riker, uh, you know, being so, uh, so prominent. And I don't think that a lot of fans felt as if, uh, as if it was, this was genuine. I think that the way they looked at it was somehow uh, these casting choices or story choices were pandering um, in the name of so-called political correctness. And so I think it's across the board. I, I, I wish I could say it was just limited to Star Trek. The one thing that I think uh, there is some true irony uh, about is the fact that Star Trek was always all about inclusiveness. And so for these fans to, to buck diversity um, really goes against what Gene Roddenberry was trying to do and what he was trying to say all along with creating the Enterprise and its very diverse, uh, multi-racial, multi-ethnic, uh, even, um, you know, multi-planetary crew. Well, it's interesting that you say that, too, because um, with all of this, like, it's... Especially like with Star Trek, I didn't even bring up the race thing. I didn't even realize that there was an issue with um, – I mean I knew there was an issue. But like I wasn't even really referencing that when I was talking about uh, this. I was talking about just how people were like, oh, well, I don't like it because they've updated the graphics and it doesn't look like the old series. Or that they're not going to stay 100% to canon. Or how are they possibly going to fit this into the canon or any of that stuff. I had completely left that part out of it. But that is a really good point too. 
And like you said, it's not exclusive to just Star Trek. They did that with Star Wars, too. They yeah, and, went, and, and my yeah. people will give you any excuse for why they don't like something. Yeah. Uh, you know, but there are, unfortunately, sometimes some, fund, fund, some fundamental reasons why people feel the way they do. And sometimes I got to believe they may not necessarily even be aware of what it is that bothers the most about it. Yeah. Steve, what, um, what, what's your take on, on this, man? I want to kind of hear from you on, on this uh, particular topic. Yeah. So I feel like this is a microcosm of pop culture in its entirety. So I feel like ever since, I don't know, I don't want to say like since 2000, but like, I mean, in the recent uh, era here, there's just been such an explosion of media. I mean, when you think about when we were younger, um, you know, you were kind of into your thing and now everyone is kind of into everything. And I feel like the people who have been into their thing for the longest and they see this flood of people coming, there's one of two routes that these people go. They either go, I'm going to prove how I'm so much bigger of a fan than you or I'm going to prove why no one should like this thing. Because I kind of feel like, and, I, and I, I know you guys have met those people that are like, oh, I only like these bands until they get big. And then when everyone comes and likes them, then <laughs> I don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. And I feel like fandom for different, different media is like that anymore. So with this particular one, Star Trek, I feel like this is new. And it's going to bring in a whole bunch of people who this might be their first Star Trek. They've, they're not really fans of it before, but hey, let's give it a try. It's cool. People at work are talking about it or whatever. And so the people that have been lifelong Star Trek fans, they can either go one of two ways. They can talk about how awesome it is and the new things. And they're going to the Mirror Universe, and that's cool. We've never really explored that to this depth or whatever and talk about it yeah. and just show, prove how much they know about Star Trek and love it. Or they can go, terrible, sucks. Uh, too, too much diversity for no reason or like whatever reason they're going to cling on to to say it's terrible. But really, I think deep down, it's like, hey, this was my thing and now everyone's in it. It's not really special anymore. That's a really good point too. Like I, I just have never thought, I've never looked at it that way. Like I've never once thought that more people liking Star Trek was a bad thing. Um, in fact, I thought it was a great thing because it meant that there might be more people I could actually talk about it with. Which I think is the right way to look at it. I th and that, yeah. that being said, and I probably should have said that before when I was talking about my little piece there, is like I, I think more people being fans of, for example, the Marvel Comics movies. I mean, you think about the just the litany of people that are fans of, of Iron Man who have never read an Iron Man comic. But you know what that means? They're making more Iron Man comics. They're making more movies. They're they're producing more. I look at it as a positive, but I think there's some people who feel like they paid their dues early and now uh, other people are trying to like get in on it at the last minute, kind of like bandwagon it, you know? Like you yeah. guys, I mean, yeah. imagine what if the Redskins ended up winning the Super Bowl this year and all these people are walking around wearing wearing Washington. Yeah, a whole gear. lot of new fans. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're thinking, hey, like I've I've been through I've been through like the worst freaking twenty years of them sucking yeah. and doing nothing and now you're gonna jump on the bandwagon and say you're a fan. And I feel like that's the same kind of loyalty that people have. Okay. But conversely, Ooh. I'm right with you. I, I think people collaborating I, I think community is one of the strongest assets we have in our country yeah. collaboration community people talking about stuff exchanging ideas 
because that fosters new developments, more growth. And if you're talking on an economic standpoint, I mean, look how much money Black Panther freaking made. You think they're not going to make two oh, more of those? Yeah. You know, if you like Black Panther, more people seeing that just means you get more of the thing you love. So I think I think people are yeah. too quick to jump on the negative. Yeah, I think so. I think so too. And like, um, what, what's been really, really encouraging too is seeing the younger generation who is now starting to see these things, like Marvel, for instance, that were never really into uh, the original stuff. Um, who are not into Star Trek, who are not into Star Wars, who are now getting into it, being embraced by the older generation and the older generation sticking up for them and defending them and saying like when people are like, oh, well, this is just they're doing this just for ratings or they're doing this just to make money in the box office for diversity. They're pandering to this. They're pandering to that. And like the old hats standing up and being like, no, diversity is cool. But not only that, that's what these shows and movies and comic books have always stood for. So why don't you just go ahead and get the hell out of here? Like, it's nice that we're seeing a camaraderie where it's like, no, 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 don't listen to these idiots. Like, you come, you come over here, you hang out with us, the reasonable nerds. Don't hang out with the racist nerds. There, there are two different sects of well, nerds. And, and <laughs> frankly speaking, I mean, none of us know each other's hearts. You know, we don't know what these, what these people, yeah. I mean, maybe they are making it to pander to a certain group. Maybe they're not. We don't know the intent behind it unless they what? come out and say it or some other country hacks their email and releases it on the internet and they say why they did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? We don't know. So all you can really do is judge the thing for what it is. And if it is inorganic and it detracts from the story and, and you know, they're just hammering you over the head with whatever particular message they're trying to get across. And you're like, look, man, this is just getting ridiculous at this point. Then I think it's fair to criticize it for that. But conversely, the fact that it is a maybe a diverse cast by gender or by race, for example, which are the two you brought up for, for Star Trek, if it doesn't detract from the story, I don't really care who the individuals are that are portraying the characters as long as they do a good job and it facilitates the story or doesn't detract from it. Yeah, that's, that's the thing that was been getting me with like the, the criticism of Rey, where they're like, oh, she's a Mary Sue. How is she any different than Luke? Like, she's essentially not a carbon copy, but, like, she's like Luke, only we have no idea who her parents are. And, like, you really didn't know who Luke's parents were until the very end of the series anyways. And you really didn't even find out who his mom was until they did the prequels. So, like, I don't see how – it just seems like you're, you're, you're not a bad person. Bad person is the wrong word. But you're, like, some sort of sociopathic monster if you can't, like, identify with somebody just because they don't look exactly like you and they have the same bits and pieces that you do. Like, well, it's a it's a double standard is yeah. what it comes down to. There, there are a couple of things that you guys said uh, that I'd like to comment on. One, um, Steve had mentioned uh, the impact on the source material. And I unfortunately, I have to disagree with that. Uh, it does not seem as if the Marvel movies generate additional comic sales. I mean, in some cases, and the, and the comics people have gone to great pains. For example, when the Avengers came out, all of a sudden they wanted to put the Black Widow in the Avengers and Hawkeye and you know, you're trying to create the same team that you were seeing in the movies. But there has never been a, a serious impact on comic sales based on uh, whatever is happening in the movies or on TV. And I think that's that's a huge problem. They've been suffering. Uh, in terms... Like, actually. Yeah. 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 Well, now, in terms of... Um, 
you know, pe- more people liking the stuff that we like. I think that's a mixed bag. I was actually just saying to somebody last night because we were talking about Spider Man Two um, on the way back from this. Uh, you mean the Grim Wire one, and, not uh, the Amazing Spider Man Two, right? Exactly, exactly. That's why I said Spider Man Two well, and not Amazing Spider Man Two. But I appreciate, but no, no. But I appreciate you cl- clarifying that because I might have been one of those people who didn't know what they were talking about. And, oh, yeah, I know you, you know, know what you're talking about. Where, he, <laughs> where Gwen Stacy died, you know, no. But um, all right. See, so so here here's this is my thing. Spider Man Two is a great movie. Okay, that was a great movie, and I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, but my problem was this. When you read a Spider-Man comic book, that took some imagination. And Dr. Octopus was a perfect example of that because, you know, they'd have a panel, you know, whether it's John Romita or Ross Andrew or Gil Kane or whoever drew it. And, you know, you have to imagine that Dr. Octopus's arms are flailing about and here's Spider-Man performing all this complex acrobatics to avoid these flailing arms and, you know, at top speed. And, you know, but it, you, you, you didn't really understand why this stuff was as popular as it was if you didn't have the imagination to buy in. Well, all of a sudden, here comes Spider-Man 2, and they're fighting on the side of an elevated subway train. And everybody gets it, you know? I mean, they're, yeah. they're able to see. I mean, it took no imagination whatsoever to go into the theater and see this. Now... Um, do I blame some of these people? No, nah, not really. But do I harbor a certain resentment to more recent converts? I kind of do, you know? I mean, and I'm sorry for that, <laughs> but, you know, but, but that's real. Now, the other thing in terms of diversity, and it's one thing if you're talking about like a, a Star Trek discovery where you've never had these characters before and you're making up new characters. I mean, I can tell you as an African-American person, um, you know, I love being able to see, I mean, because I grew up like in Superman and Batman and stuff like that. Yeah. But, you know, I like the idea of, you know, young kids, uh, you know, of one race or another being able to grow up with characters that resemble them, which I didn't have so much. And, you know, I mean, I don't, all right. I mean, I, I, I'm not in a position to talk about how that potentially damaged me or what it did to my psyche or my social outlook or anything like that. But I can tell you that I would have liked to have seen more superheroes of color as I was coming up. Now, um, one thing that you have seen, and I, I think that, you know, maybe, and I'm not going to say people's hearts are in the right place because I think all this stuff is uh, finance driven. Yeah. But when you do a reboot of, of a property like Battlestar Galactica, say, and you take a white male character, a character that previously had been a white male, like Lieutenant Starbuck, and you cast Katie Sackoff in that role, and then you take, um, you know, another character, a Lieutenant Boomer, who had been an African American male, and you cast you know, an Asian woman in that role. I mean, there are going to be some people who are saying, well, you know, you're, again, pandering to political correctness. I don't happen to believe that political correctness actually exists. Um, But I don't also necessarily think that this is about cultural sensitivity, which does exist. But I think that the producers are saying, because, I mean, really, you didn't have that many women in that thing to begin with. I mean, there was... Um, Serena, uh, who died. You had Athena, 
who had a very small role, and you had Cassiopeia, who was, you know, the prostitute with the heart of gold who turned into like a med tech, you know? And then you had uh, June Lockhart's daughter, who, you know, June Lockhart's actual daughter, who was, you know, Commander Kane's daughter. And, you know, and then she ended up not doing a whole lot either. So I could see where they said, oh, we need some more women. We're going to add them. Oh, the president's going to be a woman, you know, because hell, I mean, at least 50% of the population are women. And, you know, you want to get them into reading comics and watching, uh, you know, science fiction and all that. But I, I, I do take some exception because I'm one who believes that diversity can be achieved by some means other than race or gender swapping an existing character. I personally believe that you should maintain the integrity of whatever the original conception of this stuff was. Yeah. So, um, but I can kind of see it both ways. And, you know, the, the new Battlestar Galactica arguably was more successful. It got a longer run and people talk about it, even though it's the original ABC Battlestar Galactica that's close to my heart. But, you know, I, I see... I, I, you know, I see both sides of all I mean, of these issues. Like they really, yeah. they only care about dudes, and they only care about one color, and that's green. And the dudes are the presidents on those on those dollar bills. You know, what I mean, that's, and I think they'll put anyone who they want, and any any color, any gender, anything like that, that's going to produce the most money. And I think for the majority of the original source material that you're referencing at that time the thing that was going to bring in the most dollars was white dudes. And that's why every superhero and everything like that. And so now they're in this sticky situation of going, what do we do? Cause the source material is all one thing. And now everything is more universal than it used to be back in the sixties. When these characters were developed, we need to figure out the right balance. And I still think they're trying to figure that out. I don't, I, I think it's an yeah. ongoing process of going, okay, do we just shove one of every type of person in there just to do it? Or do we stick exactly like the source material? Or do we kind of figure out what the balance is? Or maybe we make up new characters and, oh, they don't like the new characters because well, they weren't in the original. Like, what do we do? I think that, like, a, a good example of of the good and the bad with this is uh, it's a show on Netflix. And I was telling you about this, Steve. Um uh, Black Mirror. So Black Mirror is essentially like this generation's Twilight Zone. It's a social commentary through kind of a horror lens, and it's all about like it's all about how connected we are. It has a tie to technology, right? And one of the episodes they did was starring Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, Ron Howard's daughter, and it was about essentially like every single person has like this social media app. And the only way for you to do things in your life is to have a certain rating. So like if you want to get a job, you have to have like a 3.0 rating or better on this social media app, meaning that you're friendly to people and you tip well and all this other stuff. But the problem with this episode in particular was it was too on the nose. It was mm. too in your face. It was too like, oh, social media is bad because at one point Bryce Dallas Howard has to get a ride from this trucker and this trucker's like, oh, my rating's only a 1.5 because my husband was dying of cancer and nobody would help him and nobody would help me and now I'm free because I don't have this. And we're like, okay, we get it. Cell phones are bad. Okay, seriously, stop. Like it was, it was too on the nose and too beating you over the head with it. Like that's an example of when you're taking something and you're going too far with it. Um, and I think your audience will determine that. 
is, and that's that's the other thing about this too is as much as we would like to say oh well diversity is a great thing and diversity is a wonderful thing it's going to be a majority rules kind of thing is you're not really going to see you're going to keep seeing this happen you're going to keep seeing um gender swaps you're going to keep seeing race swaps you're going to keep seeing um more mixed casts because that is what it, the majority seems to want right now and that's and like you said that what's the one person they care about the most the president's on those dollars because as long as that keeps selling and i'll give you a perfect example of, of how they know that that sells not just the way black panther did at the box office it was the way the community rallied behind it and it was it was incredible and it was moving to see that people were buying entire swaths of tickets to take kids that lived in inner cities to see the Black Panther because they weren't going to be able to really get to the movie theater otherwise. And that was, that was, that was incredible. Like you don't see people respond to that with a Tom Cruise movie because nobody cares. Like this was the first movie that really took a culture that, I mean, and and I saw, saw it all over Facebook and I saw it all over Twitter. Like how many times have you seen African Americans in movies who were like, you know, the, the funny sidekick or, you know, uh, oh, this is the drug addicted um, guy that lives in the inner city. Like they were no longer a stereotype; they were the focal point. As well, the and the villain, and, it was, and the side character. It like, was inspiring. The the whole the whole spectrum, exactly. and I think that's the important thing. Is yeah, um, when you were when you, we were yeah. talking about like the source material before, it was always like you said, one specific yeah. niche was filled as like a side character, and then everyone else. I mean, like think about the the justice league you got batman white guy superman white guy aquaman white guy flash white guy and then their cyborg kind of just thrown in there you know what i mean but this was this was representative of okay you're talking about an actual african nation what is the makeup of that population going to be exactly what they showed on the film so and i feel like if they did a let's for 20 years down the road they do a sunfire movie if they did an all-black cast there if they did an all-white cast there wouldn't make sense you need to do an all asian you know japanese cast because that's the character if that was set in japan so i feel like the realism is the most important thing there and they they fit that to a t and it wasn't just pandering to one specific group they said hey Let's do this exactly as real as we can. And I think audiences appreciated that because that's a group that never had a movie that was realistically made. Yeah. And like even um, one that was recent, um, Disney did uh, Big Hero 6, which was a Marvel property. And they even said specifically, like, we want to take a Marvel property that a lot of people don't know about. They even did that justice. Now, granted, they changed some of the, the, the like details of the story and the characters, but like they still kept it pretty ac- not accurate. Accurate is the wrong word, but they kept it pretty true to the source material in general. Um, it was still your main characters were Asian Americans living in the the fake amalgam of Tokyo and San Francisco. San Francisco is what they called it in the movie. But like you can still do things like that and still have fun with it. And that that's the thing. Like as somebody who has written a comic book. As somebody who like their dream would be to work on some of these things like Star Trek or Star Wars or other material like that, I would love to be able to have the flexibility of being able to say, hey, you know what? You tell the best story you possibly can. And if the canon isn't perfect, we don't really care because we just want an awesome story. Because ultimately, isn't that what's the most important? 
Well, I don't know. And, and I'm glad you posed that question because I think there are dual purposes today to every creative endeavor. I mean, certainly some people have a story inside them that they just want to tell or, uh, you know, there's some element that they feel that's important that they want to get out there. Uh, but there certainly is a component that says, we want to make some money on this too. And I've seen, there, there are plenty of examples of stuff that is exceptionally well-written or stories that are well-told or movies that are well-made that as far as at the box office, they do very poorly. And, you know, they might get a boatload of awards or whatever, but, you know, it, it, it ultimately... Oh, and, and conversely, you got some movies that make oogabs of money and they don't seem to get any recognition awards-wise. I mean, I remember being very upset in uh, at the 1970, I think it was 78 or 70, so whatever, the Academy Awards were the Oscars. I guess it was the, because the, it came out in 77, I guess it was like January 78 or whatever. And Annie Hall, uh, you know, Woody Allen won Best Picture. Yeah. And I was upset. I was like, wait. But Star Wars, but somebody said to me, oh, but Star Wars made a bunch of money, you know? And so it was kind of like, uh, George Lucas is going to be okay. He doesn't mind that he didn't get the statuette because he got paid, you know? And uh, yet, as a fan, I and I still, to this day, I haven't seen Annie Hall. I've heard it's a good movie. Eh. But, you oh, know, yeah. I can't imagine that it was better than Star Wars, which to me should have been the best picture that year. So anyway, but, but uh, the point that I'm making is that... Uh, the reasons that people make these movies are, are very different. And even if you got a story that you want to tell and you're trying to tell a really good story, somewhere in the back of your mind, and probably not too far to the back, is going to be, we want to make something that is going to be commercially successful. Uh, it, because otherwise, you're not going to get to do any more. Yeah. You know? So. Yeah. So, like, what's better, critical acclaim or the dollars? Yeah. So you got to find the balancing act in there uh, for sure. Um, so let me pose a question to both of you guys. And, um, Yuli, I started with you last time, so I'll start with Steve this time. There, I think right now we are in the golden age of, of geekdom. I mean, we're, we're seeing more comic book movies made than, than ever before. There's a Star Wars movie coming out, it seems like, every year, if not more than one uh, every year. Uh, there's... Star Trek back on TV. There, just everything that you could possibly want as a as a fan of these things is out there. Is the bubble going to burst where it's just not going to be um, viable anymore? Yes and no. Like I think it depends on what you mean by the bubble bursting. So like, um, I feel like instead of a bubble bursting, I think a better analogy is a pendulum swinging. So I feel like we're kind of right in that dead center where before it used to be there was this small nerdy core and that was like the one extreme where it was very unpopular and now it's swinging down in the middle where everyone likes it like or like the right number of people like it where it's producing a lot of high quality content but it's not being to the point where it's quite oversaturated but that pendulums keep swinging and swinging and it is going to get to the point where it's oversaturated and you're just making garbage all over the place and it's too much to keep up with. And then DC fanboys and Marvel fanboys are fighting the point where people just stop caring about it. And, and, and it, the pendulum's going to hit that high point and then eventually it'll swing back down. And I think you're just going to get that kind of more rhythmic pattern to it where people 
eventually have enough time where they okay all right yeah remember superhero movies those were cool they should make another one of those uh you know batman films again and then they have the next slate and generation where they get popular okay yuli what's your what's your take on this do you think that we're going to hit a uh, a saturation point with all of these comic book movies you know i i don't know i would have said uh, a while ago that um that probably but um in in the same former fashion that because you know, comic books themselves uh used to go through trends i understand and you had different genres that were popular i mean romance comics would be popular or teen comics or war comics or detective comics and you know the thing with the superheroes wasn't really supposed to last you know it started there in the late 30s and it just kept on going and you had these other comics that came out but the superhero comics were a, a constant and nobody had seen anything like that before now add to that the fact that the the, the so-called modern superhero movie um, really got started uh, back in 1978 with the premiere of Superman the movie. I mean, you'd had you'd had some other stuff before then, but in terms of you know a, a serious big budget thing, you know, by a major studio and, and all that, you hadn't had that. And we haven't. Re- I mean, yeah, sure, there've been because people talk about oh, what are we going to do when some of these things start being unsuccessful? There've been plenty of unsuccessful superhero movies that have come out in the intervening years. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, and yet, they still keep getting made. Now, Marvel has pushed this thing. You know, Disney, Marvel, I kind of like them, but they've pushed this thing to uh, a place that we've never seen before. And um, you know, now, I mean, I, I certainly, I certainly don't think that we can keep seeing what we're seeing. Although, uh, it'll be interesting uh, with DC in terms of what they do because. You know, they're having these movies that are, you know, so-called underperforming movies. And you've got, you know, top shelf characters like the Justice League of America and Superman, you know, that all of a sudden, you know, aren't generating the kind of money that everybody says that they should. Now, um, so I, and I think that actually goes directly to uh, what you were sort of saying earlier in terms of the overall quality of the product. But I also think that... Um, DC is right now playing catch up and, and this is important only because, um, Marvel is kind of rating the game. And, uh, personally, I think that DC is on the wrong track. I think, uh, cause Marvel was chasing DC for so long. I mean, they had the most popular characters and the widest distribution of their books. Um, you know, but DC needs to go back and look at, what it was that made their stuff popular. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Marvel comics. I I have for many years. I mean, and you know, there are a lot of really great things. I mean, the realism, you know, the fact that these people live in the real world places like New York, as opposed to metropolis and whatever. But, um, you know, there was a reason that these other characters were as popular as they were. And, you know, while your dad might've liked Spider-Man, your granddad liked Superman and Batman. And, so there is there is a there's a a cultural identity. I mean, sort of a, a, a an institution, uh, more or less, 
with the DC characters that doesn't exist for Marvel only because they haven't been around for 80 years. I mean, this year is going to be the 80th anniversary of the release of Action Comics number one. That's a long time. <laughs> That's a really long time. And, uh, you know, Superman was making millions of dollars in the 1940s, you know, and you know, millions of dollars then is the equivalent of like billions today, you know, based on inflation. So um, I think that uh, DC is sitting in the catbird seat. They just don't recognize what it is they have. So, I mean, I, I don't think this thing is ever going to come to an end now. I think that uh, you're going to have uh, cagier individuals who step up and they figure how to market these projects or they figure how to distribute them better. I mean, you know, it's not just turning on your TV anymore or going to the movies. I mean, we've got these streaming things, there's pay services. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of dense stuff that people haven't even thought of yet, you know? So, um, you know, they're going to figure out ways to make this stuff more accessible and plug into, uh, you know, the, the modern audience and figure out what people want. And because the most important thing is figuring out how to separate people from their greenbacks. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're very good at that. And they're only getting better at it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, I, I do want to, because um, I know Steve has a, uh, a little guy that he needs to make sure that is, uh, is uh, attended to for bedtime here pretty soon. So we'll go ahead and wrap things up here in just a little bit. Um, one of the things that I wanted to discuss as well with all of this is we talked about a saturation point. Is there something that you think we're not seeing enough of? Um, and Yuli, we'll start with you and then we'll go to Steve. Um, something that like, as far as like the way the comic book movies are being made or maybe a series that we haven't seen yet, there's something that you're still hoping for that you loved as a kid or as an adult that you're, you're hoping they're going to either remake or they're finally going to turn into a movie or a series. Yuli, is there one that like you can think of off the top of your head? Hmm. You know, I'm, I, I don't know that I'm the, at the advanced age of, uh, 54, I don't know that I'm the right person to ask that question. No, only because I'm not the target audience for a lot of this stuff. I mean, and have not been for a very long time. I mean, I was delighted to see, cause I, I was, I've been a big Black Panther fan. In fact, that's another one of those characters. I was kind of, the Black Panther's mine, man, what are you doing? But I've, you know, loved the Black Panther for, uh, for many years, you know, since the, uh, the early 1970s. And so I was happy to see that. Um, I mean, I think that um, I, I'd love to see, I, I mean, yeah, I guess I'd like to see some of these DC properties that haven't seen the light of day or that we haven't really seen done right. I mean, you know, people got all, you know, crazy over Guardians of the Galaxy. I was saying, well, you know, Marvel does, DC doesn't need to get too crazy because they got the Legion of Superheroes. Do the Legion of Superheroes. Do that upright. That's way better than the Guardians of the Galaxy. So, I mean, they, they've already announced that uh, you know, they found a director for uh, the New Gods from Kirby's Fourth World. That wouldn't necessarily be the thing that I want. I'd love to see the Metal Men. Uh, you know, I mean, but there are a lot of these older, you know, I don't know maybe the Doom Patrol or the Challengers of uh, the Unknown or, you know, th th there are plenty of these characters that are out there that could get traction if they were done right and introduced properly. So I'd like to see, I mean, as an old guy, I'd like to see some of that okay. or, you know, more 
character, more diverse characters. Let's have some women. Let's have some more black folks. You know, I mean, you know, hey, we're we're in that time. Like you said, it's the golden yeah. age. So that that that's my two. For sure, Steve. What haven't you seen yet, or what would you really like to see either done or remade or, or something that is 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 lacking right now? So I feel like DC kind of made the misstep of trying to make their own universe. Like I feel like Marvel had like the golden goose. I feel like DC should have just went with, hey, let's just get a bunch of golden eggs, just a bunch of one-off, just out of this park, rock star hits. Um, and I would just love to see them make a bunch of non-one-universe, standalone, live-action versions of their greatest hits. I mean, wouldn't you love to see a Dark Knight Returns? And I don't care if that same yep. actor plays Batman, and then he crosses over with Flash at some point. I, I don't care about that. Like take these amazing stories because DC yeah. like Yuli said has this amazing lineage in history that goes back decades and there's some absolute stellar stories that are in there pluck out those stories and do them right you don't have to make one movie do the origin story because you're really planning on setting up a trilogy or you're trying to make this interconnect yeah. universe so you got to dedicate 45 minutes of your story to set up three other movies like take the story as it is focus on that one story and just make these amazing standalone individual movies very much like the DC animated universe has done. And what do we all laud? What has DC done yeah. better than Marvel in every capacity is their one hour animated ones, And that's because they really focus and dedicate themselves to doing a great live, well, motion version of the story. They don't really detract from it much. I guess the killing joke maybe a little bit is a hindrance, but I mean, other than that, they've been hitting those out of the park. Do big budget live action versions of those and I'd be happy as a clam. I mean, who wouldn't want to see just a, a cool flashpoint with a great cast? You know what I mean? Or like I said Dark Knight Returns oh, yeah. or I mean, there's so many different ones. How about Red Sun just for fun? Why not throw one of those out there? You know what I mean? And, and, and I don't care who yeah. who plays it. Get the right cast. And I don't care if I ever see that guy play Superman again. And then we can debate who did Superman better in these three different Superman stories that we all saw. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this, though. Um, Yuli, on his show, on the last episode of Fantastic Forum that I was lucky enough to be on, he made a really good point. Um, and he, he said this before, that like there was a point like right after 1977 Superman, or 78 Superman, when everybody was like, oh, snap, now Batman's coming, and then we're going to get the Justice League. But Warner Brothers is old school Hollywood. And when a movie succeeds, they do a sequel. And that shows kind of the same pattern that we're seeing here, too. Marvel did something successful. And instead of coming up with their own creative idea, kind of like what you just mentioned, Steve, which would have been great, they were like, no, let's just do what works for them. They don't really take risks when it comes to the movies they put out. They do the things that they've seen other people do that they know will work. And even though Justice League, a lot of or, um, Batman vs Superman, a lot of us were like, eh, it was okay. And same thing with Justice League, we were like, eh, it was pretty good. Like, it, it still didn't feel right. And, and I think that's part of the reason why is because they were so focused on trying to do something like Marvel, and they weren't focused on doing what was well, and I the think best that, thing at the time. To my to my point though about picking out like mm -hmm. the best stories of the DC comics, I wouldn't say that is a huge risk because what yeah. what the studios afraid of? They're afraid of no. something that's absolutely brand new, like a, a script that is completely one hundred percent original that no one's ever heard or seen before, and have no idea how audiences are going to re react. Batman has such an ingrained yeah. fan base that, I mean, I swear, if you make anything, anything with the name Batman on it, you're going to get 
your your money back and then some. Um, and some are going to be better than others. But focus oh, yeah. your your funds and your attention on the quality, uh, getting the right directors, getting the right um, writers to to adapt the story into a script. Um, I, you can probably actually even save some money yeah. on on that front. Uh, than trying to put all this together and then locking the the specific actors up to these multi-picture contracts. Um, you, you avoid that problem entirely, but you're still not going too far out on a limb because, I mean, anyone who's ever been a Batman fan knows when you say Dark Knight Returns, they're like, oh, yeah, dude, that, oh, I love that story. And then they have the fight at the end and stuff, and it's crazy. Like, and you, you have the fan base built there, so I feel like you're already limiting your risk in that front. Yeah. Um, so as far as I'm going to go very off um, the beaten path for the ones that I would love to see get some attention, get remade, get um, something. Um, one of my favorite ones when I was a kid, favorite, favorite comic book series, and then uh, MTV turned it into a series. Uh, it was The Max. It was like it was one of the first comic book series that I ever went out and got. Like the image comic made by Sam Keith. Like it was just it was such a cool, weird, trippy comic book. And it was the first one that had been different for me, other than your typical X-Men and Batman and Superman and stuff like that that I was used to getting. And I would love to see them redo this. Now they relaunched the comic books and you can pick them up at most comic book shops now. Um, but I would love to see if they did another version of this series or they did the movie did a movie or, or something, because it's just such a weird unique story and that's some of the best comic books in my opinion are the ones that tell a story that's just nothing like you you've ever read before um the other one that i would want to see okay so (laughs) marvel did a series called next wave agents of hate and it's written by warren ellis and Stuart imminent and it's essentially it's a in the marvel universe but they're just ripping on all the other marvel characters and it's just kind of a spoof and it's just fun. So like, for instance, like some of the characters that are part of this team, which is called Next Wave, is Elsa Bloodstone, Monica Rambo, who was the former Captain Marvel, Tabitha uh, Smith, who was Boomer from X-Force, Aaron Stack, the Machine Man, and the Captain, which his name is Captain Expletive Deleted. Um, but basically, like in the comic book, it said the obscured word being so horrible, the Captain America allegedly beat seven shades of it out of him. Um, and left him in a dumpster with a bar of soap in his mouth. So like it's 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 all a it's it's all like making fun of the Marvel thing. Like at one point they fight Fing Fang Foom, and he's made out of broccoli. Like it's it's just out there and weird and strange. He's like a clone made out of broccoli. It's really really crazy. But that's why I liked it so much is because it was just making fun of everything and it never took itself too seriously. But yeah, like those are the ones that I would want to see. But I, they'll never happen. Because nobody knows anything about Next Wave. Nobody cares about the Max. So like these are just like in my own little brain, if somebody was like, hey, how could we make Mike Lunsford happy and make 20 bucks off these movies? That would be the way to do it. These, these are your Powerball pipe dreams. Mm. Yeah, exactly. If I ever get rich <laughs> and I become a big player in the Hollywood scene, um, me and you, Steve, and you, Yuli, we're, we're making this movie. It's going to happen. And we'll make people like it. It'll be awesome. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. Some of this stuff is actually coming down the pike. And I, I agree with Steve. And, and in fact, that's part of the reason that we're seeing uh, a lot of the reboots that we do. And, you know, people talk all the time about, oh, there aren't any original ideas in Hollywood. There's still plenty of original ideas. What it is, they're nervous about the likelihood for success. And they feel like 
they can mini- minimize the chances of failure if they do like another Batman story because they know that there are all these existing fans who they can bring on. And so the, the greater likelihood is that this thing is going to be successful. Now, the other thing is um, which exactly what you're talking about. Uh, the independent uh, comic book companies now are the one. I mean, this is where the real creativity is right now in the comics industry. And uh, there's some stuff coming from Sony uh, because they licensed uh, some of these Valiant characters. I understand that Bloodshot is in development. That's going to be a great story. Yeah, Vin um, Diesel is going to be Bloodshot, yeah. Yeah, you know. Uh, there's another one um, that's um, a Harbinger uh, that's a very interesting story. Uh, that stuff is coming. So, and, and there's other stuff like that. And as you have the success of uh, some of these more obscure Marvel characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy or the Black Panther or, um, you know, Captain Marvel, once that gets out, you know, I mean, we're going to see uh, people look. In fact, there's a, there's a guy I know who's got a property right now, sort of an Afrofuturist property. And I'm sure he's trying to position himself to get a deal or something. But, you know, they're going to be people who are looking to leverage existing properties. And they're going to be, they're out there looking even now. I mean, you know, Mike, it's time to dust some of those old comic books that you wrote off, man. It's like, dust them off, bring them back. You could get a deal. I mean, that that stuff you were talking about here could not be as far off as we think, you know? Maybe I can get a, maybe somebody will, uh, will purchase the rights to Ethan Stone so we can make that into a movie. So <laughs> let me ask you, if they did and they're gonna make the big budget Ethan Stone movie. Oh. Cat cast that movie. Oh god, like I haven't done this already. Okay. Right. So um so Ethan Stone is John Hamm. Um Okay. I can uh, see that. Seth is Michael Chiklis. Interesting. There you go. Those are your two. Michael Chiklis is Seth and Ethan, yeah, and John Hamm. But here's the other thing: is if you wanted to go older and you wanted to make, um, you wanted to make Ethan a little bit more nerdy, because I think he could play the nerdy a little bit better. Um, Guy Pierce as Ethan Stone, and Kyle Gass as Seth. Kyle Gass. Well, there you go. Jack Black as Ethan Stone and Kyle Gass as Seth. So Tenacious D is, is Ethan, Ethan Stone, Stone and Seth Murphy. Man, I, I say to heck with a movie. You want this to be like a weekly series. I want this thing on CW or something like that or on like or I want it to be on like Netflix where I get like an awesome Marvel deal where I can have like 13, 13 hour long episodes. Um, there you go. Yeah. See, like I've actually and it's funny, too, because Ben and I have been talking about because um, Ben's just been like he has had the worst luck when it comes to physical ailments. Like Ben basically has to get surgery on his neck because he has a um, herniated disc in his neck, but he's also got bone chips in his neck too. So like he's, he's out of commission pretty much when it comes to artwork, but we've been trying so hard to get issue three done. Um, By the way, if anybody's listening to this right now and you're like, what the heck is Mike talking about? Um, My, my buddy Ben Shaw and I wrote a comic book a few years ago called Ethan Stone PI. PI stands for paranormal investigator. In fact, if you're interested in a copy, all you have to do is contact me on the GGR website. If you go to greatgeekrefuge.com, there's a contact us. Send me an email, and I will gladly send you a digital copy of the comic book so you can read it and you can tell me what you it's thought. It's really good. Um, I, I like it. I mean, I'm partial to it. Unsolicited um, testimonial. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, yeah, like it's – it's the one thing that like it's part of the reason why i brought ggr back in the first place 
and it, it, I'm tying this in with what you had mentioned too, Steve, when you started talking about Ethan Stone. Um, I was I was tired of doing things that weren't my creative projects, and I wanted to do things that were mine again, but also bring in all of my friends who were also really talented people too, like which is why both of you guys are on this show with me today, because. I, it's one of my favorite things to do is just talk to you guys. Like if I could spend hours of my day doing this and, and get paid for it, that that's the dream. Um, but also too, I, I want to start doing creative stuff again. I want to start writing stories again. I want to start doing comic books again. I want to start doing these things. And the best way to do that is to have my you own that, stuff. That spark, that you know what I mean? It's too easy to yep. get into a routine and you're not, you're not doing something creative and it, you're just going about your daily life. It's too easy to stay there. So, you know, I think having these conversations where we talk about this kind of stuff, it, it gets those juices flowing. You know what I mean? It gets that, that spark lighting that fire. And I, I think we all get there where we, you know, it makes me want to write different articles for GGR and stuff based on little ideas that we touch on when we're having these talks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's, no, yeah, go ahead, Julie. No, no, I was going to say I feel the same way. Yeah, so I think we we really hit a good uh, spot with this, guys. I mean, like it, it's. I don't think that it's ever going to be this. Go back to the way it was. I don't think it'll ever be like, oh, you can only talk about these things in, in certain places and in certain uh, circles. Like everybody's talking about them now. Everybody's a fan of these things. Steve, you'd mentioned before that like, this is something that everybody's into now. It, it's not just oh, you can be a jock or you can be a nerd. No, you can be a nerdy jock or you can be. Like, shoot, they're sports nerds. They're guys that, like, know fantasy football so backwards and forwards. It's, it's, it's astounding. Like, these worlds have all crossed over. You know, there's, a, there's multiverses everywhere, basically. <laughs> and it's, and it's kind of awesome. And I, and I think that this is what – it's one of those um, – it, it's one of those, like, mom, like moments of hope. When you, when you see these, these things where you see these people just ripping on, on everything good that's going on, you on the flip side, you see that like people are now unabashedly sharing the things that they love and they don't have to hide it anymore because everybody's accepting of it. And I think that that as our society moves forward, we're just going to keep seeing more of that and more of this, more of the acceptance, more of the inclusivity is always a wonderful thing. Yeah, I, I agree. And I hope it continues like that. Um, I mean, I, I think there is a danger, and again, this is me being an old guy, but um, I would, uh, because I feel as if sometimes we're bordering on a potentially over-permissive kind of culture, and, um, you know, I mean, I'm all, I mean, hey, maybe it's just me kind of looking back or I mean I'm sure that there were people who um, you know thought a particular way in the past and it wasn't until those people were dead and gone that society could move forward but um, you know I mean there are um, you know there, there's there's everybody's like oh I just want to do something what feels good and if it feels good it's okay well uh I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I try and I, I think we have to be a little judicious in terms of uh, what we're doing. And I think we have to kind of try and protect uh, what it is that we have. Um, I, I don't know exactly what it is I'm railing against. You know, I mean, this is one of those public conversations. And, you know, it's like, eh. I mean, hey, and again, whatever works for the individual is frequently good but you know i mean there can't we we need to worry about the danger of excess 
You know, I mean, any kind of excess is potentially negative. You know? Yeah. And uh, I, I, I don't know that we are truly guarding against that now. I think that a lot of people are embracing this hedonism. And, um, you know, like I said, in terms of, I, I, I really, really think it's ironic that you have Star Trek fans who are arguing about diversity and inclusiveness, you know, because that was part of what made Star Trek as popular as it became, you know, was that this was a shining ray of inclusiveness and diversity in what was otherwise a very bland television landscape at the time. And that was part of what made Roddenberry such a visionary, you know? So, um, you know, but I, I, I again, it, part of it was that these were people with standards and yeah. with beliefs. And because I remember somebody blew my mind. They were talking about Star Trek and they were like, yeah, part of it is there's there are causes that are worth dying for. And I had never thought about that before. I was like, oh, damn, you're right. I mean, that was like a big part of what Star Trek was all about. You had these people who were willing. In fact, I'll tell you, there was an episode. It was called the Galileo 7. And Spock and six other crewmen are um, marooned on this planet in a shuttlecraft. And uh, they're these hostile but primitive aliens. And at one point, Spock was talking about the responsibility that the Federation people had to these hostile primitives. And I'm like, damn, that's deep. <laughs> you know, these people are trying to kill you, but you still recognize, hey, we're more technologically advanced. Part of what they're doing is they're afraid. And so we can't, we got the, we have the weapons. We could just wipe them out and be okay, but we can't do that because we understand that they're just simply afraid and they're just trying to protect themselves. I'm like, damn, you know, I mean, this is so, and I think some of that is what is lost today. You know, because everybody's doing what feels good and, you know, all this kind of thing. And, you know, we also have to, we have to worry about what's right. And we have to agree on what's right. You know, I think there's a, there could be a potential big gulf with that, you know. I, yeah, I, I think I think you're dead on, dude. And, like, I think today if they remade Galileo 7, I think you'd have Spock screaming, Nukem, Nukem, Nukem. <laughs> like, there wouldn't be any sort of pray for your enemy. You know what I mean? It wouldn't be like that. So I, I agree. I think there is a standard. And I think, you know, like I use that pendulum analogy for – you know how things go in cycles i think that's true for not only the media and stuff that we consume but the the things that we say with our media yeah i, I would i would totally agree and like it's it's funny that you say that too yuli because um i told you this story uh on the phone but um and, and steve you know about this too uh, but i'll share it with our uh, our listeners uh, and then we'll go ahead and wrap things up here so um you talk about what feels good and versus doing what's right uh so i had gone about 15 years without seeing a dentist and I had chipped a tooth recently and I was like well I, I gotta get this fixed because this is miserable this hurts like I can't eat like I gotta do something about this and I sucked it up and I went to the dentist and like it I did I didn't enjoy it because I kind of have a borderline paranoia of the dentist and it ended up being like first off dentistry is amazing and, and it made some amazing leaps and bounds in the last like 15 20 years man they can do some awesome stuff now um but it was a it was going against what felt right i didn't want to do it because i don't like going there but it's the adult thing to do it's the mature thing to do it's the smart thing to do and five 
um, five appointments later and lots of scrubbing and a tooth being pulled and a tooth being capped and all of this other stuff, I'm, I'm feeling better. My teeth look better. My breath smells better. So like everything is, everything is better. And it show it's kind of a microcosm of what we were talking about where like, sometimes you got to do what's hard. You got to do the hard stuff because it's worth it in the long run because it's too many people are worried about the temporary, the, the stuff that's happening right now and not about the long term. Yeah, too many people are greedy. You know, is the other thing. Maybe we should be less concerned about what's going to be uh, financially successful and worry more about telling a good story. I'm, I am all for that. I have, I have said a million times, and Steve and I have agreed on this too. That like, I would rather have a good story told than something that's going to appeal to the masses. And that's why some of my favorite movies are ones that not everybody liked. Like, there's. It doesn't have to be something that makes billions of dollars. A good story is a good story. And like, I had just read this amazing quote from Neil Gaiman that really, you ever read something from somebody that you admire and it really like, kind of like relights that fire or just kind of stokes the the fire of creativity that you have? Um, Gaiman said that like he he was hearing this story from an older woman who um, was in like Poland when they were occupied by Germany. They weren't allowed to read books. And what she would do is every night she would go to bed and she would sneak read Gone with the Wind for like three or four hours, like like not sleep so that she could stay up and, and read this book. And then the next day when she was knitting or, or doing whatever work it was that the Nazis essentially were making them do, she would tell the story to the other women in the knitting circle and like the sewing circle that they were in, knowing full well that if, if one of the Nazis had heard this, that she probably could have been killed for this and that a story was worth dying for. And I was just like, wow, like that really, like it it just really hit me. I was like, that is, that's incredible. That's so true that we take this for granted that stories uh, there, there are times in our history where you weren't able to do this and you weren't allowed to do this. And that's the power. That's the freedom that we have in this country, in this world now. And that it shouldn't be taken for granted. And that just really, like, really spoke to me. Mm. That's beautiful. Yeah, Yeah, it's profound. Yeah. Mm. I think on that note, that is a perfect spot for us to go ahead and wrap things up. Uh, Yuli, you're an amazingly talented man. You do lots of awesome things. Tell us a little bit about the projects that you are working on, my friend. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, There is a... A television show and radio show that I produce. It's called Fantastic Four. Well, the comic science fiction and fantasy fans, Fantastic Four. And the radio show airs on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia on Saturday afternoons from 4 to 5. Uh, the TV show is in various markets. You can find out all about it at fantasticforum.tv. I also do a morning radio show on WERA called Arlington in the Morning from 7 to 9, Monday through Friday. And um, you can tune in there. In fact, if you're outside the listening area, you can go to the website at WERA.FM and listen on demand via the stream and uh, would love for everybody if you know typical morning drive time nonsense <laughs> and music uh, local news weather traffic all that kind of thing so um and uh, hey in fact i have been fortunate enough to have had you on both those shows <laughs> so i'm a triple threat <laughs> uh, all the time my friend <laughs> um 
I wanted to point out here real quick because Steve is not one to sing his accolades very often because he's like, oh, I don't really do anything. Um, which, by the way, that was me talking and doing an impersonation of Steve. That's <laughs> it was spot on. I thought I was talking there for a moment. I, I was going to say, wait, I'm not great. saying words. How did he do that? Um, <laughs> Steve, wrote, Steve wrote an incredible article uh, that was a team up with his uh, his brother Grant, where they took Marvel superheroes and drafted them as if they were fantasy football players. <laughs> and in our relaunch of GGR, it's actually one of our most popular articles. So uh, kudos to you, Steve. Uh, it has caught the attention of people that I didn't even want, wouldn't even imagine. Like I put it on Instagram, and people who are massive football fans and comic book fans are reading this. They're like, "Oh, dude, this was so good. This is so great. Oh, Grant's team totally would have won. No way. There's no way Steve's team would have won because he's got um, because he's got. Uh, was it the uh, you have Shadowcat as your running back? That's right." Yeah. And he was like, yeah, Shadowcat's going to be the, uh, the, the outlier here. That's going to be the one that wins him the, the championship. Like, it was just cool because there was an interaction that people were, were talking about this. And it was just such a cool little thing that every now and then these GGR articles that we write, people really grasp onto and, like, we actually get some response too. So, so kudos to you, Steve, for your awesome article. Well, thank you. Um, well, thank you. But check out our stuff, man. It's, it's GGR. It's greatgeekrefuge.com articles podcast we're going to be doing more stuff but more importantly this episode but also check out last week's episode that we did we did an amazing in-studio interview with an incredibly talented musician her name is justina johnson she sang a couple songs for us live we played some songs off of her album but also she's just a really cool person she was our geek of the week so check out that interview too uh whenever you get a chance uh but for yuli for steve my name is mike lunsford and this has been ggr Pirate Radio. This has been Pirate Radio Network Production Juice Bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy.